Hello, and welcome back to Words, the Bee Gees podcast. I'm Cristiano. And I'm Stuart. Welcome to 2024. Yes, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you as well. We're here today to talk about an album from May 1980, a little-known album by Jimmy Ruffin called Sunrise. And this is an album which the majority of its material comes from Robin Gibb, also with his brothers and also with Blue Weaver. And it seems quite appropriate, a title for an album, Sunrise, let's start the new year with a sunrise. This is an episode that I've been very excited to get to for quite some time. I find this really, really odd that when people talk about the Bee Gees, they finished recording, Living Eyes wasn't a success that they probably wanted or expected to. So they go into this, we're going to become songwriters and obviously... Before Living Eyes, obviously, we had Barbara Streisand. Then you get to Dionne Warwick, Kenny Rogers and Diana Ross. This LP never, ever gets mentioned with them before. And I know we always go on about Barry, the lead singer, and Barry's the predominant writer in all four of them albums. I just don't know why this album didn't get the exposure that them... I'm wondering, had it been held back and released after Barbara's come out of that success of Guilty... Because Barry is writing credits are on a couple of these songs, aren't they? Yes. So I just think this was released in the wrong time. Because I think had Barbara's come out, she had phenomenal success with that, as we'll discover. But then Living Eyes came after that and didn't carry on, did it? With the success. We've heard all the disco backlash with the release of Living Eyes, the release of the first single... Things just didn't bode well for that album. So you said it was released too early. I understand your argument for that. But I think in terms of the contents of this album, if anything, it's a little bit late. I think that we're dealing with material here that dates back to 78 and feels like 1978. I think that that comes mostly from Ruffin's voice because... Jimmy Ruffin is an artist who, for me, is intrinsically linked to the 1970s and a certain soul Motown sound of the 70s that I just can't quite picture this going any further into the 1980s. And as it is, released May 1980, but really I think it's an album of 1979. Looking at it, it peaked at number 152 in the US and then nothing nowhere else. Never been released on CD. Has it really never been never been put on, on CD? CD? Not that I'm aware of. This whole album, it's like it's one of those missing television episodes of the 1960s where it's just been junked. Because I think it was in 2005 there was a compilation of best hits of Jimmy Ruffin or the best songs of Jimmy Ruffin, and "Hold On to My Love" is on there. But it wasn't this version; it was a remake, an inferior remake of it. So it was like, did they not have access to this 1980 recording? Or did they lose the license to it? Because it's not on streaming services either. So it's a very hard to find album. If you look at the album itself, it's a little bit like After Dark. You know, it contains a few leftover tracks. It's borrowed a track from main course. And again, like Barbara's, I think there's only nine tracks on the album, isn't there? I don't know whether that was a thing at the time or just lack of material. But yeah, I've got nothing to say except praise on on this album. I think in hindsight, the only thing that really lets it down, it's the length. I've had a go at calculating it, and I get it to only just around about 33 minutes. So it is relatively short, isn't it? When you think that you've only got Songbird, 
was from main course, there's not a lot of music that was put down that was new. There's only half an hour's worth of actually new Gib music on here. Yeah, new to us all, isn't there? I mean, obviously for the Gibbs, you have them a couple of songs from 78. So if you, if you take them off, you're probably down to around about sort of 23 minutes worth. And sometimes when I think of Sunrise, I think of it as like the Robin solo album of 1980. I know that he worked extensively with Blue Weaver on the album in terms of compositions, where he had all of these songs with Blue Weaver that were stockpiled over the past three years that didn't make the cut because it was always going to the Barry vocal. Yeah. So therefore, when he gets the chance to do this album with Jimmy Ruffin, he has all of this material that he's built up. I think that Jimmy Ruffin, he's the perfect suit and complement for Robin's tomba, Robin's vibrato, Robin's voice. He really does justice to the songwriting. You can so hear Robin... So with that, Chris, shall we just go and dig a bit into Jimmy Ruffin, a bit of his discography? and Yeah, let's find out a bit more about who Jimmy Ruffin is and, and how he became involved with Robin for this album. And just to set some context yeah. for this episode. Jimmy Ruffin was born in 1936 in Collinsville, Mississippi. Ruffin became involved with Motown in 1961, where he found work as a session singer. And then, in 1964, he was offered to join The Temptations... But instead, for some reason or another, the job was given to his brother, David. We're looking at uh, Wikipedia and the discography. I get the impression that uh, Jimmy was more of a singles artist. He was really productive in 1966, where his biggest and the hit that everybody knows is What Becomes of Broken Hearted. That reached number seven in the US, number eight in the UK, and probably his best and well-known song. I think I... No, when you first heard this, mm-hmm. I had a compilation tape of Culture Club with Boy George. And he does a version of What Becomes of a Broken Hearted. Right. From about 88, 89 that was on this, this tape. I remember playing the old compilation quite a lot at the time when you were younger. So I wonder subconsciously whether you remembered it from that. It might be. Because I don't think I ever had the Jimmy Ruffin version. He followed that up in 1966 with a song called I've Passed This Way Before. That did really well in, in the US, 17 and number 29. And then it went a little bit quiet for him. But then in 69, he did probably another well-known song. Whether it's more popular in the UK, I'm not sure. But this was called Farewell is a Lonely Sound. Now in 69, it only got to the grand title of 104 in the US. But it did reach number 8 in the UK. So it really struck a chord here. 
But this is around the time of 1969 where Marvin Gaye had a number one with Heard It Through the Grapevine. And then these two that I mentioned, What Becomes a Broken Hearted and Farewell is a Lonely Sound, got a revamp again. I don't know what, what was going on in 1974, but they both returned to the charts in the UK. What Become Broken Hearted got to the Dizzy Heights of number four. And Farewell is a Lonely Sound got to number 30, which is not too bad considering it's only five years since it was last in the charts. As you wait. Going through Jimmy Ruffin's discography, Sunrise was his seventh and also final studio album. Oh, okay. But even though I think it reached, was it 152? It was, it was still one of his, um, I think in the US, it was probably his, his second best-selling album. Oh, yeah. I'm going back through his discography here on Wikipedia. And in terms of the US, it was Sing's Top 10 from 1967, which reached 133. After that, his second album... Rough and Ready, 196. After then, there's no chart placements in the US up until 1980 with Sunrise. In the UK, as we mentioned, Sing's Top 10 got to number 32. Big success of What Becomes of Broken Heart in 66 didn't propel itself into album sales. And we get the same story here with Sunrise, where you got Hold On To My Love got to Top 10, no charting for the album and no charts anywhere else not aware of this album i don't know what the promotion was the lack of promotion i don't honestly know whether he went out at all i don't know be interesting to find out but i i've looked on the internet and i it's quite difficult to get information on this album for this album and for even jimmy ruffin himself quite a elusive mm. character even though a lot of people have heard of the name yeah it's always then any sort of research diverts straight away to The Temptations and or David Ruffin. So it's difficult to find stuff specifically about Jimmy, but we've tried to do some investigation and we'll pick and pull different parts as we go through this episode. Because I think David's life was quite tragic. I think he died quite young. I think he got involved with drugs and one thing and another. The thing that holds them both together is just the amazing vocals they've both got. He actually got together with David and recorded an album called... I Am My Brother's Keeper, and that was in 1970, which included the song Stand By Me. Didn't do nothing in the UK, but it did get to number 15 on the US R&B chart. On that, Chris, should we just play a couple of clips of a couple of Temptation songs? Do you recognise any of them songs? They just remind me of 
going on holiday 10 years ago in the UK, holiday places, Devon and Cornwall. Yeah. And at hotels in the evenings, you would have these entertainment venues when you would have the demographic of the audience would be people in their 60s, people who would be mostly familiar with music from the 60s, 70s. 60s and 70s, 60s, yeah. 70s. And so the entertainment artists would be playing a lot of these Temptations songs, Motown, etc. So that's kind of what that music to me is, what I always associate it with. The Supremes. Yes, stylistics. Uh, yeah, that sort, of, that sort of music, yeah. To really understand and appreciate the musicality and style of Sunrise, I think it's really important that we have gone through Jimmy Ruffin and David Ruffin and the Temptations discography and played examples of their music. Because Sunrise, I think, is the first Gibb album that's really been written to suit a style. There was elements of albums like Main Course and Mr Natural where they were guided in the R&B direction, But I think with Sunrise, working with Jimmy Ruffin, Robin Gibb and Blue Weaver are really tailoring this music to fit that Motown style, which we've just played examples of. And so their previous discography and their popularity in the 50s, 60s and 70s really sets the musical foundation on which this album is constructed. And so when you listen to Sunrise and then go back to this earlier Motown music, you can hear where everything's coming from. And vice versa, if you like that Motown music of the 60s and 70s, but haven't explored Sunrise, then I think you'll really like it because there's so many resemblances to songs like Stand By Me and What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. If you're talking about going forward, and I know we'll discuss this at a later date, but I wonder who brought that Motown sound to Diana Ross with Chain Reaction. I wonder whether that was Barry or whether it was Robin. Interesting, wouldn't it? Because that's really the only Motown song on the album. But it did introduce the Bee Gees to a new sound in 1985 with that song that would then go on to a couple of other songs, which we'll get into, i.e. Secret Love. But this could have been sort of like the genesis of it, starting with this album. Reading the ultimate biography, Robin goes on to say, I've known Jimmy for years, and one day he simply phoned me up and asked if I would like to produce some tracks for him. I said yes, and it all evolved from there. And then Jimmy also recalls, I met Robin years ago, he's a really nice person. He was even more reclusive than I was, so we got on really well. We talked a lot about working together, then suddenly with Saturday Night Fever and all the other stuff, they became so hot, we just couldn't work together. So it wasn't until 1979. So we made an album and almost immediately the record company went out of business. Reading that last comment, I think it's worth remembering that Living Eyes actually came out on RSO, didn't it? So the actual label didn't go bust. So I don't quite know whether, obviously, Robin's looking back in hindsight when he says that. Whether it was the lack of promotion, I think he's getting at, rather more than the album going bust. We'll look when we do Living Eyes, there was issues going on with Robert Stigwood. There was issues with RSO, whether they were sort of starting wanting to get more involved with films. Everything wasn't put into the, to the music. So whether that was behind it, I don't know. And that might also go to explain as to why there's never really been a a reissue at all, um, as to why you can't find it on streaming services, and as you said, why it wasn't promoted properly at the time beyond the lead single, Hold On To My Love. 
But I have seen that you do own the vinyl of this. Yes. How does that sound? Excellent. And I saw it advertised. I thought, oh, in for a penny, in for a pound. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll get it and see what it sounds like. Yeah. But no, give it a good old clean and um, sounds fine. The CD I've got is a needle drop. So the album was released in May 1980. I've got the top 10 list of UK hits for May 1980. And going through this, it's quite a varied mix. And in amongst it, I can see the different genres. And as we said with After Dark, with when we did the top 10 uh, from January, and you were saying how we were starting to see some of those 1980 sounds coming through. And I can continue to see that in this top 10 list. But also I can still see some... 70s holdovers so at number 10 we have david essex is it silver dream rock something better motorbike silver dream uh close i'm not going to sing it <laughs> i know he's in a film but a motorbike silver dream machine silver dream machine that's it number nine narada michael walden uh what's it begin with i instant replay no that's dan hartman no I should have loved you. Oh, I should have loved you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number eight, Jimmy Ruffin. Don't know what that one is. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> that is Hold On To My Love. Yeah. Number seven, Beat. Mirror in the Bathroom. Correct. Number six, Paul McCartney. Coming Up. Correct. Number five, Michael Jackson. Is it She's Out Of My Life? Yep. Number four, MASH. It's a theme from MASH, TV programme. Correct. Yeah. Suicide Is Painless. Painless, yeah. Number three, Hot Chocolate. Say so you win again? No. No. Uh, that is the first word. What, no? Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Correct, well done. Number two, Dexy's Midnight Runners. Gino. Well done, yep. And at number one... Blondie, is it? No. Abba? No. It's a solo artist. Don't know. Johnny Logan. Oh, what's another year? Well done. Yeah, very good. Good top ten? Yeah, very good. We'll now look at the personnel involved with Sunrise. On keyboards and synthesizer, Blue Weaver. Guitar, Alan Kendall. Bass and vocal, George Perry. Bass, Chuck Kirkpatrick. Drums and vocal, Dennis Bryan. Marcy Levi on vocal. Joe Lala, percussion. Pete Carr on guitar. George Terry on guitar. The Bonero Horns, this is for Jealousy. And then we have Robin Gibb on vocals. And then on backing vocals, we have Charlie Chalmers, Sandy Rhodes and Donna Rhodes. Barry Gibb listed for Where Do I Go on vocal. And then arrangements by Blue Weaver and Mike Lewis. Engineer, Dennis Hetzendorfer. Producer, Robin Gibb and Blue Weaver. So does Nalby play on the album then? I don't think he does. Okay, so Robin must have been going gluten free on this one then. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joe Brennan has it listed as being recorded around January of 1980. At Criteria Recording Studios in Miami. Oh, okay. Miami is where they took the photograph from the front cover. Gorgeous front cover, yeah. I think. And it suits the, the album title. It suits the mood of the music. It looks quite similar to the Living Eyes cover, I think, as well. In how evocative it is in terms of that, that time of day. It captures that the sunrise here, whereas I think Living Eyes is like the sunset. When I look at this album cover, I immediately think of the keyboard opening of things like Two People. Yeah. You know, there's that quite evocative keyboard sound and the lush string arrangements that we hear throughout this album. And then going on to the back cover of the album packaging, there's the photo of Ruffin stood in front of 461 Ocean Boulevard, which was the site of recording for main course. It always puts to me in mind of the Eagles album, Hotel California, with them large palm trees. The feel of it. 
different style of music, but it's still evoking the same sort of feeling when you look at the cover. I mean, what do you think to her? Because he's, he's a, uh, gone for the Bee Gees dressed in white on this one, isn't he? That must have been part of the criteria for uh, working with the Bee Gees here. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether he, he looks relaxed or he looks like he's about to play a game of hide and seek. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Because you get like that side profile and I sit around thinking, well, is he there counting? And then and the next shot, he's got sort of near these trees and things. <laughs> searching. Yeah, searching, yeah. And found two people. <laughs> <laughs> I think at this point, Chris, we ought to just talk a little bit about Blue Weaver and the, and the fantastic work he's done. I've looked at an article by Bruce Eder on All Music, and he goes on to say Blue's actual name was Derek Weaver, and he was born in Cardiff in 1947, and he became a member of Brother John and the Witnesses, whose lineup included Dennis Bryan, who eventually would be the link between him joining the Bee Gees, because wasn't he with them during Mr Natural? Dennis, or Blue as he became, joined a group called Amen Corner and they had some really big hits in the mid-60s with Ben Me Shake Me and High in the Sky. He then left them and joined a group called Fairweather and I think they had a top 10 hit with Natural Sinner but unfortunately they split up shortly after that. He then auditioned and joined a group called The Straubs and to cut a long story short, they split up and he did some session work with Dennis Bryan, who then introduced him then to the Bee Gees. When you look at some of the music that he's worked with, particularly the working tape with How Deep Is Your Love, I think he does the intro for Our Love, Don't Throw It All Away. Pretty good stuff, isn't it? I personally think he was a great sounding board, particularly for Barry in 1975, to something to bounce ideas off. You know, it just takes his music to a different level, or not a level, a different way of thinking, different way of writing. And if we go back to previous episodes when we looked at Robin's Reign and Sing Slowly Sisters, you weren't that enamoured by either of those two albums, and those were just solo Robin compositions. Do you think that the reason why you're more favourable towards Sunrise is because of Blue Weaver's contribution? Well, I think he's brought a, a melodic deafness to the music. We always know Robin is very good at his pop, you know, his verse, chorus, verse, chorus. But I think with Blue, he's he's very good at the intros. On this album, we get it with Songbird, which we'll discuss a bit later on. So yeah, without further ado, should we 
Shall we dig into it? Start going through this this album. The opening track is the lead single and hit single, and that is Hold On To My Love. Today you came by to tell me you are leaving me and to say that the love and all that we knew had just drifted away and I look in your eyes and I couldn't bear of my heart to think that I'm gonna be lonely again and if it Hold On To My Love is a Robin and Blue Weaver composition. It was the lead single from the album, released February of 1980. And the B-side is an instrumental version of the same song, so a lot of thought was put into this. But it's something that you'll find happens again a bit later on with Robin and Marcy, with Help Me. They go with just an instrumental, whether it was a thing of the 80s. The instrumental of Hold On To My Love... It could just be the version that we know minus the vocals, but it's such a rhythmic and such a characteristic instrumental that it works so well even without the lyrics on top of it. Yeah, I agree. It's got a good rhythmic, funky dance quality to it. The US, it got to number 10, UK, number 7, and Ireland, number 8. In the 23rd of February, 1980 issue of Record World, they review the single, saying, Ruffin collaborates with Robin Gibb here, and the result is a moving finger-snapper that's great for BOS formats with strong pop and club potential. Joyous music on or off the dance floor. In the 1st of March, 1980 issue of Cashbox, they said, David Ruffin's younger brother Jimmy should receive massive pop attention with this track, co-written and produced by B.G. Robin Gibb and Blue Weaver. Ruffin gives the glistening melody a tough vocal workout and Gibb adds one of his patented high vocal swoops just for good measure, already grabbing numerous ads. Good one. I remember this from the time but I had never or did have any idea or any association with the Gibbs it didn't say oh, this was composed by Robin Gibb because I think it's such an infectious song with an incredibly catchy chorus I'm surprised you very rarely hear it on radio I don't know whether you, you've ever heard it at all you said about you didn't know you had no idea that there was a Gibb association not at all when did you first find out and also when did you first hear this album the first time I found out was, was when I first discovered um, Joseph's website, Gibbs Songs, 2004, five, And then I went to another website that had a lot of bootlegs. I was taken back with the quality of it. But no, th- this is an amazing song. I mean, I think I mentioned it on the Andy podcast about songs being timeless. But I still think, as we just mentioned a little while, th- this was more of its time. It's, it's a very strong melodic song that you can dance to and I think this one's got a real northern soul quality to it I don't know whether you've 
no much about Northern Soul. I've got some understanding of what it is through some documentaries that I've seen about music in the yeah, 60s. I, mean, I think I think Northern Soul was sort of high energy songs and they tended to go with songs that weren't hits or could be an obscure B-side. Tainted Love was originally big in the northern in the clubs. then you've got a singer I think one of the most valuable ones was, was somebody called Frank Wilson and he does a song called Do I Love You I've got in my notes, what a joyous opener to the album. This is such an uplifting, positivistic sounding record, despite the pleading lyrics, and it has hit single written all over it. And from Jimmy Ruffin's first vocals, it's clear to understand why Robin and Ruffin would want to collaborate. Ruffin's vocals are the perfect complement and vehicle for Robin's style, but Ruffin still makes it his own. I can hear a lot of Robin's inflections, timbre and range reflected in Ruffin's voice. And I think he does a tremendous job across this entire album. I don't think he falters at any point. There's not one weak vocal here. There's not, Chris, is there? I read as well that the original lyrics was, I can't laugh, I can't cry. The instrumental part, I think, has a slight nod to Stop in the Name of Love, Supreme's hit. What do you think of the Robin demo? Love it. Absolutely love it. In fact, before doing the podcast, I'm probably talking a few years ago, when I did a sort of compilation, I tended to always include it. I did a tape of all the songs using the demos from Barry's and you know from the, the other albums they gave yeah. away and I always slotted this one in because I always thought well I've got to give Robin yeah a bit of exposure because they brought out a compilation album in 2001 called is it for the record off the record yeah I think it was the last Bee Gees recording of um, Islands in the Stream where it's just the twins on there I don't think Barry's on there so I think I used that as well just to try and get a bit more of the twins in the mix of the tape. I think, in fact, I might have started it off with them, um, with Robin doing this song. Could you imagine a version of Spirits Having Flown that includes this? No. Could you? No, not no, no. I can't. There's, there's other songs on this album that would. Oh, yes, there. yeah. 
but not this one. I don't quite know why. It's infectious. It has that dance floor quality that tragedy has. But there's that slight difference. And I think that Ruffin in particular brings that Motown authenticity. He brings the soul to Mm. it as well. I just don't think that Spirits is the right album for that. And I think Robin's got a more simplistic way of writing chorus, verse, chorus, verse. If you're going to associate this song with any of Robin's, it would be something like Juliet. Oh, yeah. that's a, I've never made the connection, but they are very similar. And it's a shame because the Bee Gees in 1989 did a live version of that. In hindsight, I wish they'd have done a medley of songs they gave away. They did Islands in the Stream. They did a bit of Chain Reaction. And I think Guilty, but this never, ever got even mentioned. And it deserved it, doesn't it? Yeah, because I think from all of these albums that they gave away in the 1980s, there's that one song that you can pull off it as like the big song Mm. from those albums. And this is it for Sunrise. Back in early 2000s, we had, I don't know which DJ it was, they did a revamp of Elton John's Are You Ready For Love that was from 77, 78. And they revamped that. They redid Thunder In My Heart for Leo Sayer. I think they even did a little bit of conversation for Elvis Presley where they sort of revamped him. And I think this song would work well. I think it it would work out really well. And what made me think of that is when I was looking on YouTube, there's a really good version. And I think I looked under the Hold On To My Love and it's a gully mix. And they seem to beef it up quite a bit. So I think it would, it's definitely could be released like them other songs. And I particularly think on this one, you can hear Robin's backing vocals a lot clearer. I don't know whether, without going into too much, I don't know whether this has just been stripped back and then you're able to hear Robin's vocals or whether they amalgamated the Jimmy's Hold On To My Love and with Robin's demo, mashed the two together. It's a shame that this single never got a 12-inch release. I'm surprised that they didn't go into this because that's what seemed to be in the clubs at the time, different, slightly different mixes or copy and paste in extended versions. This is just a perfect start to the album. It's it's just such a such a positive. It's one of those you, you put onto the hi-fi, turn it up. Yeah, it's that pounding piano at the yeah. beginning. So with that, Chris, I'm going with a nine on this. Same for me, nine out of ten. So cracking start, and the second track we're going to do is forever, forever. Scared of losing this dream tomorrow. I just want to 
Forever Forever is a Barry, Robin and Morris composition, which also went by the title of Nobody, and the composition is copyrighted as 1978. Robin then rewrote the song as Forever Forever. It was then released on Sunrise, where it was just titled Forever. But it was then later changed to Forever Forever, and Joseph Brennan points this out. It's most likely because in 1966, the Bee Gees have a song called Forever. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, yes, they did, didn't they? On a side note, I wanted to ask you as a bit of an update. Did you ever find out what that reminded you of forever? No, I don't. No. I forgot about that. But as soon as you sing it, that'd be an earworm stuck in my ear now. Yeah, definitely. When they started on the album, this is one of the two songs they started off with. They started off with Nobody and Where Do I Go, which makes sense because these were tracks... Blue said it was written during the Spirit's time, but rejected. That was a Bee Gees backing track, and I used it. Robin reworked the lyrics, and nobody became forever. Unlike Hold On To My Love, this is a song which I could imagine on Spirits Having Flown. I could definitely hear it being on After Dark, because it has that Spirits After Dark desire guitar sound, Mm. which is all over it. So yeah, this is one that I could imagine being on those earlier Gib albums. I think this one is still a, a very, very strong song again. I can hear for this in this song. This is sounding more in the vein, as you correctly said, sounding more vein of the Bee Gees. Not just vocal-wise, the guitar breaks as well. Even though it's not quite as strong as the previous one, it's still a really good, solid number. In terms of arrangements and production, Robin and Weaver are firing on all cylinders and going throughout this album. As the second track, this loses none of the momentum from Hold On To My Love, and I just find the chorus as irresistible. I just want to hold you forever, forever, loving one another. That's how it should be. One line pulls you in after the other, and I think the whole song has got such great momentum to it. I wonder why Andy didn't have it, instead of Warm Ride. I just get the impression this was mainly from the pen of Robin, whether they thought, because of Andy might have vocal issues at the time, they thought Robin could do, apologies, uh, Jimmy's vocals could do more justice to us. But this one, again, I like the way the chorus goes deep. It sort of goes deep and then rises from, I just want to hold you, to loving you, to loving one another. Yeah. It sort of goes up and down, which I can imagine them singing in falsetto. So that's probably why you probably get that sort of spirits thing in it. But on that note, then, for this one, I'm going with a seven. I've given it an eight. Okay. Well, I don't think things let up at all for track three. I think this is a marvellous opening three songs for this album. We have another Robin and Blue Weaver composition called Night of Love.
What Robin and Weaver have mastered on this album is the catchy chorus. I said it with Shadow Dancing, where I had one more look at the night stuck in my head months after hearing the album. And Night of Love is is another melody, particularly the melody of the chorus, that on any given random day, if I've not heard this for months, this song will just come into my head. And I just think it's another, yeah, excellent track. I struggled to find much info on this song for reviews. What I could find was pretty brief, actually. It's got from Cashbox, a well-orchestrated symphony of electronics, plus a muscular dance beat and a lush chorus of high female backup vocals take Ruffin's lead vocal to new heights as the follow-up to his top 15 single, Hold On To My Love. Record World thought highly enough of the song to put it on page one, July the 5th, this successor spotlights more of his rangy, affecting vocals on an upbeat theme and rhythm. Yes, I tend to agree, actually. I, I think this one, we get to hear Jimmy's vocals and the versatility of it slightly more than Hold On To My Love. And around this time, Record World decided to increase their charts from 100 to 150. And unfortunately, it didn't even get between 101 and 150. So it was a complete no-show, wasn't it? Which is a real shame. Do you think that as the second single, it's too similar to the first? The more I look into it, Chris, the more I think that it has nothing to do with the quality of the song. It was to do with, with RSO and the lack of promotion. And I don't know why, because, I mean, to have a BG associated with it is really surprising whether they should have jumped ship and gone to a completely different label, like Barbara was with a different label. I found on YouTube by somebody called S. Strauss 415, and it's about five or six years ago. He goes, thanks for posting this. I knew Jimmy at the time he was working on this album. He was a good friend of my brother's, and he was producing our band too. Every time he got back from England, we'd hear the tracks, including Robin singing in a lower voice, for demos haven't heard this in ages whether he was confusing it with something else for blue to say there's no demos but this guy then sort of saying that there has could be and while we're on that have you seen on robinson rj's facebook page he goes on to talk about robin and what their plans are for the future yes and it goes on to say we have created albums together we have so many songs that the world hasn't heard yet and i promise you they will my solo catalogue, our unreleased songs, our collaborations, they will find their way to our fans. So that, that'll be interesting. I'm sure means this project was a Robin project. We would get, if there were any demos or anything of this, released. Steve Hoffman forum user F. Subtle, who we've mentioned in previous episodes, has some information regarding Night of Love, and they go on to say that an instrumental outtake of Night of Love was a straightforward run through the backing track of bass, drums and guitar. There was no orchestrations or keyboards. It was interesting to hear, but not an essential listen if you aren't a big fan of the album. Not too dissimilar then, probably to the instrumental to Hold On To My Love. Yeah, so I'm imagining this as stripping the vocal off the track and then maybe a few other slight differences to the instrumental track to what we know. Yeah, good contribution, thank you.
But like you, I think it's got a fantastic infectious chorus. Yeah, so good. The female backing, I think, complements it beautifully. It's sort of a feel-good song. This one's called Night of Love. I'm going to ask you this. How do you think a soul singer spells the word love? Uh, Would it be L-U-V? Yeah, I've got L-U-R-V-E. Love. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. I agree with you about the backing vocals. I think that Chalmers and Rhodes, their backing vocals, they're heard clearly on the chorus and they work so well. And that's because... They're singing in a high range and the tone of their backing vocals, I think that subconsciously or otherwise, it puts the listener in mind of the Bee Gees falsetto backing. I think that that was a clear production choice by Robin and Weaver because that's the type of production that they're used to having those high backing Mm. vocals that they would have wanted to apply that here with Ruffin. And they're doing that with a female backing and that just works, I think, really nicely. And in the final refrain of the chorus... When the song has a key change, you really hear that and how well that works. And also, I love the arrangement of Night of Love. The intro is very retro, sort of Motani, which again is used as a backing to the verses. Yeah, I've put it as a melodramatic opening. But then I think that when Ruffin comes in with the opening One Night, Night of Love, or L-U-R-V, Love, as you said, (laughs) um, that, that just relieves all of the tension. But... There is a sense of urgency that remains throughout the song. And I think like Hold On To My Love, this is another disco dance floor or Northern Soul type song. This song could very easily have slotted into the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. It could have appeared in the background of the film in the scenes set inside the Odyssey disco. You could have had this in the background. In the film, you can hear the Yvonne Elliman cover of If I Can't Have You. And this would have fitted in nicely there. And with regards to Ruffin taking this song from Robin and Weaver. We hear a lot of ad-libs from Ruffin in the chorus of this song and across a lot of songs on Sunrise. And to me, this is a sign that Ruffin is really enjoying the material. And it's no surprise, the album's so joyous and uplifting. But for him to be doing all of these ad-libs, to me that says that he's just, he's liking the material so much that he just wants to build on it when he's doing his vocals and he wants to play around with the material. I've given this an eight. And I've gone with an eight as well. So now we come to track four, Searching, and it was also the B-side to Night of Love, and in my mind, it could have been a double A-side. I've been searching, sailing never-ending streams. I've been working, Trying to find out what life means No one knows how much I've been trying to get through Searching all my life for you Wishing burning bridges every day Being foolish Trying to chase the world away. What a gorgeous ballad. 
could quite easily have been the A-side. Joseph describes this as a classic soul ballad and is spot on. It's very touching and has lyrics which must have meant something to Robin or Blue. Let me, let me just go through these. Whenever I end up hurting someone, I always hurt myself. If only I could live my life over again, I'd like to beat somebody else. Oh yes, I would. Searching for you, look. <laughs> How easy is it to read four lines? Searching for your love everywhere. I keep looking around to see if there's a rainbow there for me. I'm searching for you endlessly. Searching, sailing, never ending streams. I've been working so hard trying to find out what life means. No one knows how much I've been trying to get through searching all my life for you. Beautiful. Nice, isn't it? Really beautiful, actually. When you take the lyrics in isolation, really appreciate it even more. It's got such a beautiful melody and it's highlighted by the piano. And that is really works well on the intro. And it may possibly have some of Jimmy's best vocals on the album. I mean, the way he just interprets those lyrics. Yeah. They're just so, so good. And again, it goes down to one of those songs that why somebody else has not picked up on this. I mean, we mentioned it a while ago, like people like Paul Young, they did Daryl Hall's Every Time You Go Away in 83, 84. Everyone says that that's better, but I think Paul Young's version is inferior. Yeah, I much prefer the Hall and Oates version. Paul Young does have a good voice. And I think because of his popularity in the mid to early 80s, a song like this, would, would he could have really interpreted well probably not as well as but he, because he was more contemporary mm-hmm. it would it, it would have worked so well with him yeah i agree so with the beginning of this song we also get a beautiful introduction a lead into the song which goes back to what i said regarding blue weaver and these fabulous intros that he seems to come up with it sets the song up beautifully and it doesn't feel out of place sometimes if you hear songs you know you get the intro and it has nothing to do with what's going on this is sort of lead you into the song. I don't know if you're familiar with Billy Joel's 1982 song Surprises, but the intro of Searching so reminds me of Billy Joel's oh, Surprises. Yeah. Play a clip. keyboard sound and the mood that it evokes either song always puts me in mind of the other that sound as well the soundscape of this song it's that reflective mood and i think that that's captured perfectly in the album cover and in terms of the track listing and sequencing from here onwards sunrise alternates between slower soulful ballads to then the lively up-tempo numbers yeah so we have the first three songs all up-tempo we then get this which is our first ballad and from here onwards it's always alternating between the two which is a nice way of structuring an album you hook the listener in first three songs and then you start introducing the slower material but always maintaining the up-tempo stuff
Recently, Chris, you brought me the Bob Stanley Children of the World Bee Gees book, which is an excellent read for anybody that's not um, read it. It's full of interesting facts that you don't find in a lot of other biographies. Now, he does mention a little bit about this song, and he goes on to say, Searching was a decent gib ballad with a sweet blue weaver piano melody, and Robin's lyrics are the best on the whole album, very Robin-esque. Whenever I end up hurting someone, I always hurt myself. If only I could live my life over again, I'd like to be somebody else. So I think that those lyrics stand out to Stanley as the best on the whole album. Yeah. And I think they're definitive for Robin as well. Searching all my life for you. I've gone with a nine on this. Okay, I've gone with a seven. I've done that because there's another song later on this album, which I think is the sister to Searching, but I think is far superior. Yeah. This then brings us to the last track on side one, Changing Me. And this is another Robin and Weaver composition. This one in particular, we're stepping back into the Barry White and his Love Unlimited. We're into real thing, territory, you to me are everything. It goes back to, again, nice orchestral disco music. And then also with this one, I like the way that for the first time, I think might be on a Bee Gees record, we get a spoken part. And that's very Barry White. Yes, because he sort of talks and sings, doesn't he? Well, he's got that such deep voice. Yeah. It definitely, this song evokes that period to me. I mentioned before about memories of being on holiday and hearing these types of songs in the evening at the entertainment at the hotels. And Changing Me evokes that so much. But listen to it, it doesn't feel out of place in this song, does it? It just works so well. That's because it suits the genre 
we've said it about Barry White. So you come to expect it from the genre. You come to expect it from these kind of soulful Motown R&B-esque music mm. that it will have these talking segments. So it doesn't feel out of place here at all. Whereas on a Bee Gees album, yes, it might feel out of place. Yeah, arguing who's going to do it? <laughs> who's going to do the best talking voice? But you know me, not really into lyrics, what they mean. But I, I find this album's quite, even I think I can make what they're trying to say. Because I think, I'm wondering whether this was a Robin lyric, because he at the time was going through a divorce. But Robin does what Robin does. And it's one of the up-tempo songs on the album. A bit like Crying Every Day with Living Eyes. He's put a twist on it. It must have been something that was in his mind, these lyrics. With this one, the way I read it is, whoever it is, everything in life is fine for his partner to start with. But I think the relationship is not heading in the right direction. And she's obviously trying to change him. And he doesn't want to change. I mean, tell me what's going through your mind. Out of all the changes you're making out, you find, hey, baby, that our love has gone away. I don't really want to leave you, but it's hard for me to stay. Every time I turn around, you're changing me, draining all my energy, trying to make me something that I'll never be. Honey, set me free from this misery. Oh, do you? Obviously, it doesn't want to be. It's tragic, the things you, you feel inside, because it's killing me to know I don't keep you satisfied. Because it's magic to think that love is so sweet. You took my hand and made me feel my life was so complete. So that's how I tend to read it. I think we've swapped roles for this episode because usually I'm the one who's picking into the lyrics. I'm doing this one because it's nice and easy. <laughs> I'll probably go back into my hole after this one. <laughs> but I think because of the way that the lyrics are, it works. Jimmy sings with such emotion and particularly on that high register. Changing Me, I think, follows on in the flavour of Night of Love. I don't think it's as strong. And I think that you can draw a line with Forever Forever, Night of Love and Changing Me. They're all in a style that Robin sadly never revisits. There's echoes of it in songs such as Crying Every Day. But otherwise, this up-tempo soul style is something that remains very unique to this album. And I think that's what gives Sunrise its charm. It's totally unique in the Gibb catalogue. It's so commercial, but sadly also so obscure and so unknown. And that just gives the album its magic, I think, that it's this little gem, this type of Gibb and Weaver music that we just don't really hear again. Jumping ahead, I found this with Robin's songs on their last album that they did. This is where I came in? Yes. I thought Robin's songs were probably the highlights. He does write differently to Barry. And I, th- I think, as I say, things are a lot simpler. And I, I thought Robin maintained the commerciality. But I think that Robin really had his finger on the pulse with regards to good pop music. Apart from 1970. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems like from, from the mid-70s, he really yeah. started to get into it. 74, 75, he sort of hit that stride. You're right, there's such a change with Robin. To go from his first solo album um, with Robin's Reign and then the unreleased Sing Slowly Sisters... The difference in style from that to then go to St. Catherine's Drive, which is so commercial. I think that Robin was influenced by a lot of producers that he worked with as well. The biggest thing I think for Robin was probably, and probably Barry as well and Morris, is going to work with Arif Martin. When we talked about Tin Can, Robin was still writing those similar songs that he'd written all his career up to then, I think. 
Mr. Natural, I get the impression is was I think we said the time was probably a more Robin song, and there'd been nothing like that up to then that awoke something in him. This album is is laden with hooks. He definitely had a lot of creative juices going into the eighties because he has three solo albums which came out consecutively year after year. Oh, yeah, I know that they were done with Morris as well, but he clearly had a lot to get out of his system. And yeah, they're very poppy albums as well. With this one, I'm going to go with a seven. See, <laughs> changing me and you going through the lyrics has kind of changed me a little bit. I'm going to stick with a six. See if I can change it. So I think that Chris inside one. As I say, definitely encourage listeners if they can get a copy, is is give this album the credit it deserves. Yeah. We flipped over. We'll go into the first track on side two, and this is Where Do I Go. said earlier this was from the spirits having flown sessions like shadow dancing it's composed by all four brothers and i did say on that episode that i think chris in right and saying that i thought experience was the best record the four of them were composed together yes for me now this is i just think this is stunning and i'm going to be a little bit controversial as well i prefer this duet to Islands in the Stream. It's got more feeling. You know, you talk about songs you can't describe. Yeah. This, to me, is one of them. I've described this as a fantastic country ballad. I had no idea until undertaking the research for this that Andy was credited. I assumed that it was another Robin and Weaver composition. Blue goes on to say in the Ultimate Biography, Desire actually started out as a Bee Gees track. That's why we're credited on that. It was only really for one song. We'd already done that with Barry singing lead, which we worked on for weeks. Then we thought, well, it's all right, but it's not really happening. So we put that aside. The same thing happened when we penned the track, Where Do I Go? That went onto the Jimmy Ruffin album. It was just something that we just felt wasn't working correct. I think that whether it has more to do with Robin writing it, but I feel this song is very similar in a way, to Rest Your Love On Me, that they composed during Children of the World, where they liked the song, but they just didn't feel it fitted on that album. Now, we always associate sort of country music with Barry. It's quite rarity, like, for Robin to venture into country material. That's exactly what I've got in my notes. If you've got 
Rest Your Love On Me as the Barry country ballad. Then Where Do I Go on this album is kind of like the Robin country ballad, but it's a four-way composition, so it's not specifically Robin. But he is doing the arrangements alongside Weaver, so he is taking care of it, and I assume he was the one who chose Marcy to work on it, and then I assume from this connection, that's when they then went on to do Help Me, and he then gave her a few other songs to try out. Marcy Levy. She originally did some work with Eric Clapton. She co-wrote Lay Down Sally with him as well. She was signed to RSO. So I'm wondering probably that was the connection, how she come then to work with Robin. And then in the late 80s, early 90s, well, she changed the name to Marcy Detroit. She joined Siobhan Fahini, who was originally with Banana Rama. They joined together and they became Shakespeare's sister. And they had absolutely huge number one in the UK. And I think it made number four in the US with a record called Stay. As Levy would go on to prove with the single Help Me, where she's duetting with Robin... Her vocals and style are a superb fit for Gibb material. On this song, Where Do I Go?, she acts as the counterpoint to Ruffin. With the two of them, going back to the talking that we mentioned in Changing Me, they're in a conversation mode, I think representing a couple who have gone their separate ways, but now they both seek a reunion. On the one hand, we have Ruffin's character, who has to prove himself to Levy's, as she acknowledges... There ain't no way to say you're sorry. But she then joins in on the chorus and they both sing together. So clearly her character still has feelings for Ruffin's character. I think there's a really sweet story there. It's nice, isn't it? That goes into the the way that they can then dig into the lyrics and sing. Her voice really contrasts well with, with Jimmy's. They blend so well together. Yeah, I've got a quote here from Blue where he goes on to say, it's my favourite track on the LP and it's criminal that it's gone under the radar and wasn't even released as a single. Yeah, I agree on that. The combination of Jimmy's wonderful, soulful vocals are beautiful and the clarity of Marcia's high-pitched vocals work so well. Now, I've listened to this quite a few times and I'm trying to find it where I can hear Barry. I think I can hear Barry on the repeats, possibly on that One Day, My Love, which is around about 1 minute 50, and then possibly at the end as the song sort of fades. But I'm not sure whether it is or whether it's just me thinking that sounds like it could be Barry. On Facebook, listener James Lockwood pointed out that you can hear Barry's high pitch at the end of the song. And I did go back and yeah, you can hear it there. Talking about James Lockwood, 
he went on to suggest that we try reaching out to Marcy Levy. Okay. Or Marcella Detroit, as she's now known. So I did reach out to her and I asked her about her memories with regards to Sunrise. And she was very kind and she replied back to me and said, I was fortunate enough to work with the late, great Robin Gibb. I was introduced to him by Robert Stigwood of RSO Records. I first worked on the single Help Me, which was in the Times Square movie. Robin and Blue Weaver wrote the song for us to sing. It was always a pleasure and an absolute honour to work with Robin. We recorded in Miami, Florida. Sometime later, I flew to London, England, to do the video for the song with Robin, whilst I was jet-lagged out of my mind. He was always so professional and quite the genius. After that single release, Robin called me to work on Jimmy Ruffin's album, which he was producing down in Florida again. Jimmy was also a musical hero of mine. I grew up with his voice and his music, so it was an honour to sing with him on his album, especially the duet, Where Do I Go? I often ask myself, how did I get so lucky? He was such a pro in the studio on every occasion and knew exactly what he wanted. That's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, so I was very grateful to Marcella Detroit for replying. Yeah, we appreciate that. And for James Lockwood for the suggestion. Reading that, Chris, I didn't realise that Help Me was done prior to the album. I always, because it was released afterwards, I always assume it it come after it. But it proves their things are different to what you expect. F. Subtle has been able to hear complete studio outtakes of both Where Do I Go and Nobody, which was then later rewritten as Forever Forever. They go on to say that both of these studio outtakes are fantastic full band performances with Barry on lead vocals. Both of the Bee Gees versions of these songs are complete with the exception of some of the lyrics in the verses, with Barry singing wordlessly in the places where the lyrics haven't been finished. Interestingly, the arrangements for both outtakes are identical to the Ruffin versions, including the intricate guitar parts and the string orchestrations of Nobody Nobody. Barry sings the string orchestrations in the outtake and they were precisely copied in the Ruffin version. F. Subtle then goes on to confirm that very little was changed for the Ruffin versions of these songs other than completing the lyrics. The Bee Gees versions are wonderful and are worthy of being released even without the full lyrics. I mean, that, that's why we so desperately need a sort of 78-79 box set, don't we? That would have all the spirit stuff, it'd have stuff that uh, they go on to talk about. It'd also have uh, those songs that they put onto Guilty. It's fantastic. There was so much material that we um, that we could get. Maybe one day. One day my love, that you my love, my love. we're born to be my wife. Where do I go when all the stars leave the sky? And I'm going to say this is my favourite track on the album. It's criminally underrated, and it wasn't even released as a single. I'm going with a 10. And I've given this an 8. The next song, Two People, another Robin and Weaver composition. I think this is a gorgeous ballad with Ruffin's best vocal performance on the album. And I think that the introduction to this song is just pure Blue Weaver. It has that dreamlike style of Our Love Don't Throw It All Away. Very similar. He's all over this song. This is, this is his forte this type of arrangement and composition.
If there's a time I feel downhearted, I close my eyes and I see you there. Shower me, my precious love, with all the good things two people can share. I totally agree. I've got here another gorgeous ballad. Robin's writing at its best. It's such a pity we don't get any demos because I can just so imagine Robin doing this. I've put, it reminds me a little bit or it could easily have been sung by Barbara in the way Woman in Love. I put this as like Jimmy's counterpart to that. It definitely showcases his vocals. I just think it's got such a beautiful but simplistic arrangement. I presume the lyrics regarding a guy missing his loved one who's away somewhere. I'm sure when Barry and Morris heard this, they must have been pretty impressed. If you was a, which I was, but didn't realise at the time, if, if you were a collector of BG stuff, you were spoiled. You yeah. were getting as, as much material and albums released as opposed to 1970s unreleased. Everything kind of found its way out here. Because whereas in 1970, if they're not happy with the material... They're not really considering giving it away to another artist for an album. They might give the odd single away, as they did in Australia. But whereas in 1970 those albums remained unreleased, here these solo albums have found a form of release. I still think, though, after the intensity of the last, particularly from main course up to then, I think they just really wanted a, probably a break from each other. You know, we've worked together. Let's put our juices into doing something different. I think they just wanted to work separately but they still wanted the confidence of working with people that they'd previously worked with. Whereas Barry continued with his group into Andy's album and then he took them into Barbara's. Robin was more than happy to work with Blue, who I think's done a tremendous job on this album. That's the way it went with this. Cause we forget so easily, yeah. All the magic two people can be. Now, we've got an absolutely great bit of information from F. Suttle regarding this song. He goes on to say, This outtake is much more interesting as it features Ruffin wordlessly singing the entire song to a full backing track of bass, drums, guitar and Fender Rhodes keyboard. Clearly the music and melody of the song were complete when this outtake was recorded, but the lyrics had not yet been written. Presumably, Ruffin was taught the melody prior to the songwriting being completed. It's a lovely performance that highlights Ruffin's vocals. Strangely, when I first heard this outtake, it instantly reminded me of Stick's song Babe. Oh, I know which one that one is. Which was a huge hit in the USA, exactly the same time that Jimmy Ruffin was being recorded. This outtake features the same Rhodes keyboard sound as Babe, very prominently. And it wouldn't surprise me to hear that Robin and Blue had been at least partially inspired by the Sticks hit when they were creating this song. The finished version on the album isn't as obvious about the Sticks influence as the outtake is. You know it's you, babe, whenever I get weary and I've had enough, feel like giving up. You know it's you, babe, giving me and the strength I need And though I know 
there's a time I feel downhearted I close my eyes and see you there Like you, I love this song. I think this song has a real intimacy about it. And listen to this a few times. Jimmy's vocals seem very upfront or close mic'd. That gives you the feeling that he's singing just to a person. Again, it's another highlight for me. I've gone with a nine. I've given this an eight. We go from someone yearning to be loved to someone with issues of jealousy, and it's jealousy. Again, Robin and Weaver on credits on this one. I've got this as my weakest on the album. I've got this as probably the weakest song as well. Yeah, I find the chorus and Ruffin's delivery a tad grating. Yeah, something just doesn't quite work there. It's a great song and it fits the album so well. It nicely brings up the tempo from the song that goes before and the song that goes after. But I just don't think it's as strong as the rest of the album. I prefer the verses to the chorus. Yes, I agree. Particularly the second part where he goes, you say I go on needlessly, Mm. which I think lifts the verse into the chorus, which is quite dramatic as it has sort of an urgency, which is emphasised by a sort of fantastic arrangement on this. It seems everything was thrown at it, though I think it's a one off. Again, we've mentioned this a few times. It's of its time. But the say I love part which I personally think has all the hallmarks of a Bee Gees record. Yeah, you know, there's certain things in a song. Yes, this is a Bee Gees record. But it's quite interesting when you look at the nine tracks on this album, four of them are one word only titles. Because you've got Songbird, Jealousy, Searching and Forever. So being the weakest on the album, Chris, I've gone with a six. Same for me, six out of ten. You mentioned about sequencing as well. I love the way this goes into Songbird.
So we come now to the main course song, and that is Songbird. I'm not always a big lover of interpretations of songs, and I suppose in 1980, this was quite recent to main course. And I believe Blue Weaver was involved in the songwriting of Songbird, and it wasn't released as a single. So I think that had a lot to the criteria to them going with this. And I've gone through the, the Bee Gees discography looking back and thinking well if I was Robin or Blue what song would have I given Jimmy to sing and the one that hit me straight away was the unreleased song from Main Course was Your Love Will Save the World I would have definitely picked that song over this Yeah, completely agree with you there. I think that that would have been a great way to have had that song be released. Ruffin would have done amazing work reinterpreting that song. You probably could have dabbled into My Life Had Been A Song from Tin Can. Yeah, that would have worked. I can see why they wanted to, to use this song because, I mean, the production is flawless, the way the intensity builds and builds. It must have been very tempting, though, for Robin to add his vocals in the way Barry does. But obviously they seem to prefer keeping the female back in sort of contrast. This goes back to what I said with Where Do I Go. Despite it being a four-way composition, I felt that it was mostly Robins. And Songbird is Barry, Robin, Morris and Weaver. But I've always felt that it belongs, in terms of Barry and Morris and Robin, this out of the three brothers, this belongs mostly to Robin. And maybe subconsciously knowing Ruffin's version and knowing that Robin helped to produce and arrange that, has always made me think that Songbird is more of a Robin composition. And it also goes back to when we had that conversation with Andrew, where he says it's surprising how many times you think something was written by one writer because they sang it was actually done by the other one. When you think of songs like Ida, where you naturally assume it was written by Robin, Don't Forget Me Ida, when actually it was composed by Barry. Yep, very true. We probably do get sidetracked a little bit from thinking, oh, it's a Barry song because it's a Robin song because of etc. etc. When we was having that conversation with him, it sort of made me reevaluate and think of things, thinking, well, actually, could he have done this? And if we're saying that To Love Somebody is going to be Barry's sole song, then Songbird is Robin's. And this album really takes what is essentially a sole song. And I think it's represented that way on main course, but. Ruffin really proves that with his version on this album, really accentuates and highlights how well this song fits into the Motown soul genre. Yeah, we talk about songs, but there's End of My Song, for Otis Redding, that's still unreleased. There's plenty of stuff that they could have gone at, but when all said and done, I I think he does a great version of it and not quite up to the par, I personally think, because I'm so used to the Bee Gees singing it. But it, it does a does a good version. It could have been also a song that Jimmy wanted to do. You know, you just don't know. It could be Jimmy said, I really love 
When I said earlier on that they met years before for Saturday Night Fever, so you're talking a main course and probably Children of the World being the most recent albums. It might have just been a track that um, Jimmy said, I'd love to do a cover of that. One of the first things I noticed about this song, that it's nearly a minute longer than the original. That's mainly down to the intro. So we're back on intros again. I think it's beautiful. It adds such a nice layer into the song. I like the way that with this song appearing on this album, and then with Our Love Don't Throw It All Away appearing on Guilty 2, it's like these songs are being treated as though they're part of the great American songbook. Yeah, that's true. Because these songs are just so well regarded. And Songbird is such a classic that why not pull it from the Bee Gees back catalogue? Do you feel short-changed, though, when you listen to this side, thinking there's only four songs? And only three new ones? Yeah, a little bit. But it hangs well as an album, in the way I probably talked about After Dark, where they were bringing songs in from the past. And as a collective group of nine songs, it works well together. And as I say, this is a really good album. I mentioned earlier on in the episode when going through Jimmy Ruffin's discography that Sunrise was his last album. Do you know if he had much more recording activity after this album? It is a good album to go out with, but he didn't stop working. So Jimmy moves to the UK in the early 80s and then he starts working with Paul Weller, him of Jam and the Star Council. And at the time, Paul Weller was involved with things that was going on in the UK in mid to early 80s, like the miners' strike. And so he gets involved on a benefit uh, single in aid of the miners, and that's called Soul Deep. And then in 1986, he goes on to work with Heaven 17. I've just got a few of the notes here. It goes, Jimmy Ruffin heads back to the US in the early 2000s, eventually relocating to Las Vegas to work on a new album, while interest continues in his recordings and unreleased Motown tracks. And then unfortunately, he passes away in Las Vegas on the 17th of November 2014 at the grand old age of 78. And then after Jimmy Ruffin's passing in 2014, Motown Records founder Berry Gordy gave a statement about Jimmy. Gordy said, Jimmy Ruffin was a phenomenal singer. He was truly underrated because he was also fortunate to have his brother, David, as the lead singer of The Temptations, who got so much acclaim. Jimmy, as a solo artist, had What Becomes of the Broken Hearted, one of the greatest songs put out by Motown, and also one of my personal favourites. He was a wonderful human being, quiet and unassuming, who touched many lives with his music, not just here in the States, but overseas as well. Jimmy Ruffin will always be a part of the Motown legacy. So as the last track on his final album, Songbird goes out with a really nice sentiment. Go on with your Songbird. Yeah, beautiful. It's a fitting closer. Yeah, I enjoy it and I've gone with an eight. I've given it a seven. There's no other extra tracks that I'm aware of Jimmy recorded that got held back. But we do have another track that was recorded probably just after this. And I think you mentioned it a little earlier on. And it's called Help Me. Again, this is a duet. But this time it's Robin and Marcia. 
this was recorded for the soundtrack to a movie called Times Square. And if you went to the movie, you could hear it over the closing credits. And I've tried to find out that there was a soundtrack come out. And I have. And there are a lot of songs that I've never heard. They've gone a little bit new wave. You've got groups like The Roots, Babylon's Burning, The Cure, Patti Smith Group. You've got people from the 70s. You've got Susie Quattro, The Pretenders. They had a hit single at the time, which is on here, Talk of the Town. Roxy Music. I think they got back together in about 79 and they their, their song, Same Old Scene, which was a, quite a big hit in the UK. So yeah, it's quite a mixed bag. And, and I think like this album, I don't think it was ever released on CD. But it was released as a single and it managed to get to number 50 in the US. And then like Hold On To My Love, it was backed by an instrumental version. I'm really surprised it didn't get high because it's extremely catchy. This is, goes back to what you said earlier. Had this been released three or four years ago, I think it would have done better. It would have charted better. Exact recording dates are unknown, but according to Joseph Brennan, it was recorded circa to mid, mid-1980, and this was at Criteria Recording Studios in Miami. Like we said with Where Do I Go, I think Robin and Marcia really complement each other beautifully. I've put in my notes that this is a confident, strident track, and it's a very different type of duet for Levy compared to her previous contribution with Where Do I Go. For most of Help Me, she is singing in union with Robin, but the only exception being the bridge, the how long section, which Robin takes on his own. And that's beautiful. I love that that part and I think that that bridge is just a wonderful snippet of something different it's like a tantalising glimpse at a whole other song which Robin and Weaver have sort of worked and weaved into this track you could imagine that that's something completely different like that slower section of Staying Alive which was then removed And then I've noticed on the vocals, I think for what we know Robin can do, I think she sounds quite urgent, whereas Robin's vocals to me sound very laid back in the way that Robin sang trash. Yeah, I agree with you. It's that sort of nice vocal and he's not really pushing himself, but it just fits so well within this song. I mean, would you say that we've started this podcast and ended it with two of the most commercial songs? Because I would put Help Me Up as nearly as commercial as Hold On To My Love. The video here, I think Robin looks so relaxed, so into the song, and it's great. Is this the best use of hand claps in any Gibbs song? Because they're so important to the oh, yeah. the meter and the rhythm, and also I think they're part of the chorus as well, just as important as the lyrics. And also we mentioned it in the Spirits episode when we're talking about I'm Satisfied, and there's the same quite a quintessential Gibb technique of the cascading word. Yeah. Satisfied it drops down and down and you hear it on I'm Satisfied. The B-side is an instrumental version 
The vocal version is shorter than the instrumental. The vocal is 3 minutes 26 versus 3.55. Now, despite numerous searches, I've unable to find the instrumental of this. So we can find obscure Australian singles from 1964. I'll come against a blank on this one. With regards to reviews, in the October 25th issue of Billboard, it goes on regarding its top single picks. Help Me was one of nine new releases predicted to make the top 30. Levy, who's backed Eric Clapton on many of his albums and tours, and Gibb play off each other's vocals in this slick pop song. The duo harmonise exceptionally well. Record World, in its November the 1st 1980 issue, had Help Me as page one single. Warm, energetic, pinpoint harmony vocals overwhelm on this bold pop rocker and it goes on to say ideal for pop ac audiences so i think chris that covers nearly all the songs the only other song i could find was a song called touch me which i believe was recorded around about the same time as Help Me. What they did, they got Marcy to record a demo, and this was going to go to a singer called Linda Clifford, but it was never recorded by anybody. Blue Weaver says that he and Marcia didn't like its sexually charged lyrics. But you thought, though, if it was worthy of recording, like they did, they changed the lyrics from Nobody to Forever, they would have changed the lyrics if they felt the song warranted lyrics. Going on to reviews for Sunrise, for All Music, Andrew Hamilton writes, Surprisingly, this Jimmy Ruffin album, produced by Robin Gibb and Blue Weaver, works quite well and is comparable to his Motown releases. Nicholas James reviews Sunrise for the website Bee Gees Reviews. He rates the album 2 out of 5 stars. Despite the fact that the album did not perform well, and, in fact, is now largely forgotten, even by Bee Gees fans, It is not a bad attempt. Whilst lacking the slick production and clever songwriting that would mark the Barry-produced albums from the pack, this album includes some fine moments. Many of the other songs are unfortunately instantly forgettable and could have perhaps benefited from some more work. Robin has never quite broken away as a producer on his own, and this album really illustrates why. However, he would reach major artistic heights within only three years, with the release of his sparkling solo album, How Old Are You? I don't really agree. It annoys me when these critics say things like that, and they don't go, well, which song then? There's only nine. Which one are you referring to? It's, it's just simple to, to categorise things like that. But you see, if, if an album's not been on CD, it's not, as you say, it's probably largely forgotten. The whole research on this was, was really quite hard for me, to actually get information and... and Definitely worth it, I'll repeat myself, but if you get a chance to get the vinyl or get a copy of it, it's well worth a listen. So going back to Bob Stanley's book, he goes on to say regarding this album, Robin and Morris would team up with Blue Weaver to write and produce an album for the former Motown singer Jimmy Ruffin in early 1980. 
he hadn't had a hit of any stripe since Tell Me What You Want had been an early disco hit in 1974 and he hadn't troubled the Billboard Top 10 since 1966. The results were pleasant but underwhelming. Maybe Robin had been away from the mixing desk for too long. The Sunrise album is one of the more forgotten Gibb collaborations, possibly because it's never been on CD, let alone streaming services, but also because it sounds a lot like half-thought-out demos. The tepid hi-hat and the weak one-note keyboard hook on Hold On To My Love, combined with its computer-generated lyrics make you pine for the abstractions of to whom it may concern. Still, Hold On To My Love was enough of an earworm to reach the UK and US top tens in the spring of 1980, although it's largely forgotten today. Well, I'm surprised by a few things. Firstly, the fact that Stanley doesn't seem overwhelmed or enthused by this album at all. The fact that Hold On To My Love does nothing for him. I completely disagree on his view that the lyrics are computer generated. I think there's a lot of soul and there's a lot of emotion and and I think passion in that song. So I'm surprised that he doesn't hear that either. But also what surprised me when you were reading out that passage was that Stanley refers to Robin and Morris with the composition. Like you, Chris, I just assumed it was Robin. And further in the book, he does sort of talk about Guilty Album and comparing it to this. And this was quickly recorded in comparison to Guilty. And obviously you listen to the two. Yes, you can hear that Guilty seems to have had a lot of time spent on it. But I think that Robin and Blue, or Morris, as this book refers to, wanted to just get something recorded quickly. Whether Robin had plans to go and join Barry with Barbara's and so wanted to get this album out early 80s so he could then concentrate it. Regarding a couple of other songs, he goes on to say, Changing Me was a Philly tribute that went on to become a staple on the Carolina Beach music scene. Jealousy had the urgency and intensity of 1967's Motown while predating the high anxiety of Robin's solo 1980s work. So it's good to get just different perspective on the album. As we progress next season, we'll be able to pick and dissect a couple more of them from later albums. Taking a look at the survey results for Sunrise, at number nine with 7.1 is Jealousy. In eighth place, Changing Me, 7.2. In 7th, Night of Love, 7.6. In 6th place, Forever, 7.7. In 5th place, Songbird, 7.8. Steady rises here. In 4th place, Searching, 7.9. In 3rd, Two People, 8.2. Which then puts between 2nd and 1st place, what do you think of the... Well, I should think it's uh, the single, the big single was number 1. And then the duet is number 2. Correct. Yeah. Where do I go with 8.6 and hold on to my love with 9 out of 10? So it'd be interesting in a month's time or when people have heard this episode or have heard the songs for the first time, whether any of that changes. There was a lot of response on some of the social media posts with people saying how little they knew about this album before we said that we were going to talk about it. But there were some comments in from listeners. On Facebook, Jeff Locken said that Sunrise is a great soul album by Robin and Blue Weaver. Two People and Searching are just fantastic. Where Do I Go is one of the more underrated and sadly less heard BRM tracks ever. I agree with that. Marcy Levy sings great with Jimmy on this. Also a great cover of Songbird. And on Facebook, Julie Rickard said, I don't understand when everyone talks about them, 
the Bee Gees, producing and writing for other artists, that Jimmy Ruffin is not mentioned. This is a fabulous album, which is a sentiment that I wholeheartedly agree with. Yeah, that's what we said earlier in the podcast, wasn't it? It's just very strange. Even though this contains, you know, a massive first single, probably not quite as massive as the other albums, it was still a sizable hit on both sides of the Atlantic, and it just gets pushed aside. And I hope, if anything, this episode has introduced people to this album and just shown that there was another side to the Bee Gees in 1980, which is often forgotten about, and another album which is sadly lost to the mists of time, but which contains some real great recordings. This then takes us on to our next episode, which will be the final episode of this season. We decided to close on quite a big one. So on that note, it's a goodbye from me. And goodbye from him. And also a goodbye from me. Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepson. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com. How grand we are Little by little we meet in the middle There's danger in the dark It ought to be illegal Make it a crime to be out in the cold It ought to be illegal You've got a reason for living You better along With the love you're living on you got to be mine